How about some good news to kick off this sermon? Jesus will never send you away. If you are a Christian, if you have been adopted into God's family, if you are in union with Christ by faith because you're trusting in his work for you, then this is true. Jesus will never send you away. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, no matter what you do. No matter what you do in the dark, no matter what you do online, no matter what you do under cover of darkness, no matter what you do in broad daylight, Jesus will never send you away. He will never evict you. He won't throw your, all of your belongings out on the lawn. He will never kick you to the curb. Jesus will never, ever throw his bride out on the street. He'll never end up in divorce court with us. He will love us to the end, as John tells us in his gospel, John 13, 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus will never send you away. And some of you need to hear that at the beginning of this sermon. I know that I do. And you'll need to hear this good news again, so I'll remind you again throughout this sermon. But now we've got our work cut out for us in our passage today, so let's dig in because this is a, a difficult topic. This passage is, is tough. Kind of the imagery in my mind is like walking through some like thick rainforest with all these like branches and, and vines at your feet. It's, it's a tough passage that we're looking at today. So turn to Mark chapter 10. In the Old Testament, husbands were kicking their wives to the curb and sending them away in Deuteronomy 24, which is the passage that Jesus and the Pharisees will be discussing in our passage today in Mark chapter 10. So Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and hear the word of the Lord. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So the Pharisees approach Jesus and they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Understand, the Pharisees want to trap Jesus here. They're really not interested in truth. They just want to trap Jesus and get more ammunition for murdering him. They were hoping that Jesus would slip up and say something incriminating and say something that went against God's law and went against their man-made laws so that they could charge him with blasphemy and push for murder charges to be sought. The Pharisees were hoping that Jesus would be a little too loose and a little too liberal in his views on marriage and divorce. And so Jesus answers their question 
with a question. What did Moses command you? You want to know if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife. What did Moses command you? And the Pharisees reply, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, the passage that the Pharisees are quoting here is Deuteronomy chapter 24. You can turn there if you want to and just put a mark there. We're going to look at it in a little bit. But notice that Jesus asked what Moses commanded, but they replied with what Moses allowed. The Pharisees assume that divorce was allowed by Moses. But Jesus will answer them, and he will come back with the most conservative answer that anyone could give. Jesus will bypass the Mosaic law, what what they think, in their minds, Moses allowed in Deuteronomy 24. Jesus will bypass what Moses said about divorce, and Jesus will go straight to Genesis, straight to the beginning, straight to the beginning of marriage. Jesus knows that the Pharisees take the common view of Deuteronomy chapter 24, the common view that was held by others in their day, Jesus knows that the popular opinion of the day was that Moses allowed divorce. But did Moses allow divorce? The Pharisees seem to think so. But Jesus goes back to Genesis, to the first marriage, to Adam and Eve. And by doing this, Jesus is saying, I want to talk about God's intention for marriage from the very beginning. I'm quoting Moses in Genesis. You quoted Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, but that book came much later. And the reason Moses wrote those words about writing a certificate of divorce is because of the hardness of your hearts. A law was given by Moses to help protect women because of your hard-hearted resistance to the truth. But divorce was never God's original plan. Jesus then goes on to tell them God's original plan for marriage was for one male and one female to marry. The man was to leave his father and his mother and be joined forever to his wife. They would become one flesh, Jesus says, and they should never be separated. That's God's original design for marriage. One woman and one man joined together forever. So Jesus goes to the beginning of marriage to discuss marriage. R.C. Sproul is helpful here. He says this, however, the starting point for a marriage discussion cannot be the argument as to what constitutes lawful grounds for divorce. As Christ teaches, we must look first to God's original intent for marriage, a lifelong bond between one man and one woman. Divorce is permitted due to the fall something the Father graciously allows in cases when sin has grievously shattered the union of husband and wife. God permits divorce in select circumstances to help us endure some effects of sin and the broken relationships it produces. Had evil not entered the world, there would be no broken relationships and hence no divorce. John Calvin says that God did not lay down a law about divorces so as to give them the seal of his approbation or approval, but as the wickedness of men could not be strained in any other way, he applied what was the most admissible remedy. Many of God's laws are concessions to contain the effects of sin, and we should be grateful that in his grace the Lord seeks to mitigate the damaging power of evil. And so the marriage ideal, according to Jesus, is two people 
one man and one woman. They get married and they never divorce. That plan was set in stone in the Garden of Eden. But because Adam sinned, sin entered this world and therefore, and let's be honest here, men can be jerks. Men can be jerks to their wives. Men can allow their hearts to be hardened to God's truth. And all you have to do is read the book of Genesis and you will see why a law was given concerning divorce. Because number one, men can be jerks. And number two, it was given to protect women. Because this was a patriarchal society in ancient Israel. It was paramount to death for a woman to be sent away from her husband. She was as good as dead if she was given a divorce certificate. A woman living on her own and trying to make ends meet. A single mom trying to make her ends meet in ancient Israel was given a living death sentence. That's what was happening with Ruth and Naomi when Boaz intervened and helped to save them. It was dangerous for a woman to be alone in ancient Israel. So knowing the hard-hearted propensity of men, God, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, made a law that the husband could not remarry his ex-wife that he kicked to the curb. That's the law that Moses gives. The husband cannot remarry the wife that he has kicked to the curb. This protected the woman from her ex-husband should she want to remarry, should he want to remarry her in the future. If he divorced his wife, he would send her off with a certificate of divorce. Now, keep in mind that divorce was common in ancient uh, Near East. All the nations surrounding Israel had laws about divorce. And in all of these cultures, men could divorce their wives for any reason. And apparently, the nation of Israel began adopting this view. The Israelites began adopting the views of the surrounding culture, believe it or not. And this never happens today, does it? The church never adopts the views of our culture, right? The church never adopts our culture's view of marriage, do we? The Israelites began adopting the views of the surrounding culture. Men began divorcing their wives and sending them away with a certificate of divorce. But this was never God's plan, nor did God give permission for this. Why would God ever give men permission to send their wife out into a hostile world just because she no longer found favor in his eyes? What kind of God would give hard-hearted men permission to send their wife out into a hostile world just because she no longer found favor in his eyes? What kind of God says, okay, guys, if you get sick of your wife, send her out into a hostile world. Make her homeless and scared and cause her to live in fear. God is not giving men permission to be selfish jerks in Deuteronomy 24. God is giving a law that the husband could not remarry his ex-wife that he kicked to the curb. That's the commandment that Moses gives here. It's not the writing a certificate of divorce. That's not the commandment. The law is you cannot remarry your ex-wife. The law is not give her a certificate of divorce if she gets under your skin and starts to bother you and you want to kick her to the curb. 
But God also knew that men would divorce their wives. He knew that husbands would be hard-hearted. He knew that husbands would disobey the norm for marriage that was given in Genesis 1 through 2. So a law was given to protect women if it happened. Now, more on this in a moment. I think the certificate of divorce probably stated the reason for the divorce. Keep in mind that adultery back then wasn't grounds for divorce because adultery back then was punishable by death. So if infidelity occurred, the woman or the man would be stoned to death. So this certificate of divorce probably included the reason why the hard-hearted husband was divorcing his wife. And I'll tell you what I think the reason is in a moment. Some rabbis in Jesus' day, those of the conservative branch, believe that Moses allowed divorce. They believe that you could only get a divorce for some form of lewd sexual behavior. But the more liberal rabbis said that you could divorce your wife for any reason. If she badmouthed her mother-in-law, you could send her away, according to some rabbis. If you didn't like what she cooked for dinner, you could send her away, according to some rabbis. The liberal rabbis came up with 50 ways to leave your lover. You just slip out the back, Jack. You make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. Hop on the bus, Gus. Don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, Lee, and get yourself free. The liberal rabbis came up with 50 ways to leave your lover. The liberal rabbis said that you could divorce your wife for any reason. 50 ways and more to leave your lover. Now, Jesus, of course, will say that divorce is permissible For sexual immorality, he says that in Matthew 19, the parallel passage. And Paul will later add that divorce is permissible if your spouse abandons you, 1 Corinthians 7. But some rabbis believe that you could actually kick your wife to the curb for any reason. So they believe that the certificate of divorce stated why you were sending her away. If your wife made a bad dinner or she wasn't as pretty as she used to be 20 years ago, and you sent her away, then the certificate of divorce would reveal that you were an absolute jerk in sending her away for such reasons. The certificate helped protect women and protect their dignity as it revealed how stupid and selfish and hard-hearted their jerk of a husband was. Now let me interject something here. Jesus cares about women. Jesus cares about how women are treated by other men and by their husbands. Jesus cares about women because he cares about all those made in his image. Jesus is the God of the millstone that we looked at last week. Jesus is the God of the millstone for those who abuse women and those who abuse their wives. Just let that sit there. But as we'll see in a moment, the law in Deuteronomy did not allow divorce. It only said that the husband could not remarry his wife that he kicked to the curb. The certificate of divorce helped protect women and protect their dignity as it revealed how stupid and selfish and hard-hearted their jerk of a husband was. And that's why it would be adultery if either of them remarried someone else, as Jesus says here in verse 11, because adultery was not the cause of the original divorce. The cause of the original divorce was the hard-hearted reason given by the husband, whom I I must point out again was a turtle, a turtle. (laughs) Yeah, he's a turtle too. Was a 
total jerk face for divorcing his wife and sending her out into the world with nothing and basically giving her a death sentence. The law given in Deuteronomy 24, which we're going to look at in a moment, was given to help protect the woman's dignity, to protect her from her husband who might want to remarry her in the future. And her husband, who wanted to divorce her, we'll call him Mr. Jerkface Extraordinaire, okay? He could then move on with his life if he divorced her, and then everyone would know the reason why. He was Mr. Jerkface Extraordinaire because he divorced his wife for some petty reason like burning his dinner. And when he ordered a drink at Starbucks and they asked for his name to write on the cup, he would say, Bob. But the barista would have heard about what Bob did in divorcing his wife and kicking her to the curb for some petty reason and kicking her out into a patriarchal society with nothing. And so the barista would write on his cup, Mr. Jerkface Extraordinaire. And then he would say, I have a grande mocha ready at the bar for Mr. Jerkface Extraordinaire. But contrary to what both the conservative and liberal rabbis of Jesus' day believed, if you look at Deuteronomy 24, you will see that you couldn't just divorce your wife for any reason. In fact, it doesn't give permission to divorce at all. Moses just states what should happen if a man sent his wife away. Some rabbis in Jesus' day said that you could divorce your wife for any reason. And some said that you could only divorce for some form of sexual immorality. But if you look at Deuteronomy 24, there is no allowance made for divorce. It only tells the husband what he can't do. Namely, remarry his ex-wife if he chooses to be selfish and kick her to the curb. This is the passage that Jesus is discussing, Deuteronomy 24, here in Mark chapter 10. So let me read it to you. As before we start to read it, understand this is an if-then case law. This is one of the case laws in the Old Testament. If X happens, then do or do not do Y. Okay, understand what's happening here. So Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. This is the passage that Jesus was discussing with the Pharisees. When a man takes a wife and marries her... If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, we're going to come back to that, and he writes her a certificate, certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. The if here describes the situation, and the then describes the law, what must be done. If the husband sends her away, then he may not take her again to be his wife. The law is he may not remarry her. The law is not you can divorce her and send her away. Moses is not allowing divorce here. But by Jesus' time, the Pharisees and religious leaders believed that Moses did allow for divorce. Again, 
the law given by Moses here is that the husband may not remarry his ex-wife. Now, my personal opinion is that if a man divorced his wife in the Old Testament because she no longer found favor in his eyes, because she wasn't as pretty anymore, because she burned his dinner, whatever, if that was true, then to me that was not the move that a man makes. That's childish. To kick your wife to the curb and out into a patriarchal world where she was basically a goner. That was a childish move, not the move a man makes. You kick your wife out because she burned your dinner? You, you kick her out because she's not as pretty as she used to be? And obviously, this kind of stuff did happen. Otherwise, God would not have come up with a law of what to do if it did happen. So this is obviously happening in Israel And so a law had to be given to them. The whole point of this law was to protect a woman from a husband who would want to take her back in the future. In other words, you kicked her to the curb, and that showed what kind of man you were, abusive and childish and petty, and therefore you don't deserve her if she's back on the market again. You can't marry her a second time. This law protects the woman from going back into the arms of an abusive husband because as we all know, some women do return time and time again to abusive men, don't they? You probably know someone in your life. I don't know why they keep going back to that guy. He's a jerk, he abuses her, he roughs her up, and yet she keeps going back time and time again. The law was, you cannot remarry your ex-wife. And it came because hard-hearted men divorced their wives. The reality was this, divorce happened. So if a man wants to remarry his ex-wife that he kicked to the curb, Moses says, you can't marry her, remarry her. It wasn't that Moses allowed divorce. The reality was that divorce did happen because men can be hard-hearted jerks. Everybody knew Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2 in Israel. They knew that divorce was wrong. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, they say to Jesus, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, or the word could be instructed you, to do this or not do this in this manner. That is, if you divorce your wife, you can't remarry them. But from the beginning, it was not so. Then Jesus says, but I say to you, because you're, you're listening to your own thinking, Pharisees, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, because they were divorcing their wives for other reasons, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus is saying, give the certificate of divorce, but you give it so that it's public knowledge now of why you divorced her. So Jesus says that the commandment, the law, forbade the man taking his wife again. And it was written because hard-hearted men did divorce their wives and they later tried to take them back. Divorce wasn't allowed. What was not allowed was taking her back again. Sometimes husbands can be jerks in ancient Israel and even today. So this would be a good time to remind you that Jesus will never, ever do this to his bride, the church. And Jesus will never send you away. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never evict you. He won't throw all of your belongings out on the lawn. He'll never kick you to the curb. 
He'll never kick you to the curb because of your sin. He'll never ever throw his bride out on the street. He will never end up in divorce court with us. Jesus will never find anything repulsive in you that will cause him to push you away and no longer love you. Jesus will never find anything repulsive in you that will cause him to push you away and no longer love you. That's the gospel, friends. Jesus will never shame you. Jesus will never air your dirty laundry for the whole world to see. Your sins, Christian, have been cast into the depths, the darkest, deepest places of the sea, never to be seen again. Jesus will never publicly shame you. So rest in that and receive that today. Jesus will never kick you to the curb. But that's exactly what these Deuteronomy 24 husbands were doing when they found some indecency in her. They were sending their wives away. The Hebrew phrase that is translated some indecency in Deuteronomy 24.1 is literally translated, it's the nakedness of a thing. This phrase only occurs in one other place in Deuteronomy 23.14 where it refers to dung or excrement. So the idea that this nakedness of a thing, this some indecency, is something that's repulsive. In Deuteronomy 23, when the phrase is used, the Israelites are commanded to carry a tiny shovel with them and to go outside the camp to bury their excrement. So you had to do your business or to go number two, outside the camp, and you had to carry a shovel with you and bury it because it would be indecent. It would be distasteful and repulsive to the Lord and to other people. That's the same phrase that's used here for some indecency. This sum indecency, according to many Old Testament scholars, probably refers to a women's menstrual cycle, but not just a monthly period. This was probably if a woman had a continual issue of blood, like the woman that we saw in Mark chapter 5. And so Old Testament scholar John Walton explains, for example, if a woman had a menstrual dysfunction and was regularly bleeding, she would be rendered perpetually unclean and could not be approached by her husband for childbearing. It's easy to see how such a condition could bring disfavor and lead to divorce. Though her condition would not be her fault, the divorce by her husband would make this humiliating situation public knowledge. Yet it is not so bad that another husband was not willing to take her in, an important aspect of the legislation. Through verse 3 then, we find that the woman has done nothing wrong. Her first husband is within his rights, though perhaps lacking in charity, and the second husband is willing to live with her condition. So if a woman had a menstrual dysfunction and bled regularly, this kept her and her husband from being intimate and therefore kept them from having kids. And some men found themselves in this situation and they chose to divorce their wife. And this happened often because we have this law in Deuteronomy 24. Obviously, I think this would be a jerk move and would be unloving on the part of a husband. Again, we have to understand the woman has done nothing wrong here. She has not been unfaithful. She just happens to have some issue, most likely a perpetual menstrual issue. So if the husband sends her away because of this issue, he has publicly humiliated her because he has let the whole town know that she has this issue. This private matter between the couple is now made public by her husband through the certificate of divorce. And that's why her husband cannot remarry her at a later date because he has shamed and publicly humiliated her. In fact, the Hebrew of Deuteronomy 24.4, when it says she's been defiled, it actually says that her husband has caused her to be defiled. I don't want to bore you with Hebrew grammar this morning, but I will. 
The phrase in verse 4 about her being defiled after she has been defiled occurs in this really extremely rare verb form in Hebrew. So rare, in fact, that most Hebrew grammars don't even include it. This rare verb form only occurs four times in all of the Old Testament. That's why I only put it in the grammar books. It's a causative form, meaning in this case, someone has caused this woman to be defiled. That person would be her husband the guy who revealed her private menstrual issues to the entire village. And because he defiled her, because he caused her to be defiled when he divorced her, because he publicly shamed her, he cannot remarry her. Again, let John Walton, Old Testament scholar, comment on this. He says, in other words, the first husband's divorce action had exposed her condition since he was the one who had forced her to publicly declare herself unclean. He is not allowed to marry her again. This has nothing to do with any moral behavior of the woman and has nothing to do with the second marriage. It is interesting, too, that Jesus cites the case in relation to hard-heartedness. The legislation here is to protect an unfortunate and vulnerable woman from a predatory husband who has already disgraced her. Why would he want to marry her again? The most likely explanation? Money, which she likely brought out of the second marriage. The very focused nature of the case can offer no insight into remarriage questions and very little regarding divorce. The case law in Deuteronomy 24 was given to protect the woman. Contrary to what many people believed in Jesus' day, it did not give free reign for men to decide to divorce their wife if they burnt their dinner. The issue in Deuteronomy 24 is really not primarily about divorce and remarriage. It's about the hard-heartedness of men and the protection of the wife if the man decided he wanted her back. And that's the case here in Mark. The Pharisees respond to Jesus' question of, what did Moses command you? And they say, Moses allowed us to get a divorce. They have misunderstood Deuteronomy 24, and that's why Jesus goes straight to the beginning of the Bible to give his answer. Moses commanded that marriage be one woman and one man with divorce never entering the picture, according to Genesis. Now, Jesus does say in Matthew 19, the parallel text with Mark 10, that divorce is allowed in the case of sexual immorality. And Paul allows for divorce in the case of an unbeliever abandoning a believer in 1 Corinthians 7. Because sometimes sin has so damaged and so shattered a marriage in those two cases that divorce is allowed. But remember what the original design for marriage is. Two people, one man, one woman, they get married and they never divorce. But understand, I said all that to really say the Pharisees really aren't interested in any of this. They don't care. They weren't really interested in the truth. They just wanted to trap Jesus. And Jesus knew this. And Jesus knew that they weren't really interested in the topic of marriage. So Jesus played along and he answered them. And in the process, he exposed their own self-righteousness and he exposed the hardness of their hearts. This passage really isn't about divorce and remarriage, even though Jesus answers their question. This passage is about how the Pharisees were relying on their own righteousness as a means to be made right with God. They could have asked Jesus about the Sabbath, and he would have answered correctly and still done what he did here, which was to expose their own self-righteous hearts. Jesus is primarily interested in exposing the Pharisees and their own navel-gazing ways of trying to be good enough. But Jesus here wants to demonstrate the strictness of God's law and how impossible it is for anyone to do it. 
And the reason why I say that Jesus is primarily concerned with that here is because of what the disciples say to Jesus in Matthew's account after he tells them this. In Matthew 19, the disciples said to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, that he can't divorce her for any reason, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. The disciples are floored by the demands of the law here, the demands of marriage according to Jesus. So they respond this way, holy cow, Jesus, you mean marriage is supposed to be permanent? If your marriage standard is so high, we should just tell people not to get married. The disciples can't handle the high marriage standards of Jesus, so they just go straight to celibacy as the answer. If there's no acceptable divorce clause, Jesus, then we should just all be celibate and nobody get married. Again, let me say, I believe that divorce was not allowed according to Deuteronomy 24. Now, we do know from Scripture, as I said, that divorce is permissible if sexual immorality is involved, and that's a broad word. It's the word porneia. You know the word we get from that. It can involve adultery, fornication, prostitution. Or Scripture allows for divorce if another spouse has abandoned another. But the disciples can't handle the high marriage standards of Jesus here, so they go straight to celibacy as the answer. If there's no acceptable divorce clause, then the disciples think celibacy is the answer. But they don't understand that celibacy is not the answer either. If God calls someone to that, that's fine, Jesus says. But the disciples see celibacy as an opportunity to try to avoid the strictness of the law. Let me say that again. The disciples see celibacy as an opportunity to avoid the strictness of the law, the strictness of marriage. For them, not getting married is a way to win by changing and keeping the rules. The disciples are doing exactly what the Pharisees are doing, trying to dodge the heavy demands of God's law. But by doing that, they are pushing away Jesus, the only one who can save them. How does Jesus save them? By obeying the law perfectly on their behalf and by bearing the curse of the law on the cross on their behalf. So throughout this whole exchange, Jesus is zeroing in on the Pharisees' desire to establish their own righteousness through obedience to the law. The Pharisees think they can whittle God's law down to their own level. So, of course, they love what they believe to be a stipulation given by Moses concerning divorce. They can live with that stipulation. They can obey a certificate of divorce law. Easy. My wife bothers me. I write a certificate of divorce, kick her to the curb. Boom, I just obeyed the law. But what the Pharisees can't handle is Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, strictness. They don't like the immovable, unchangeable design of God for marriage, one man and one woman. So they want to whittle God's law down to manageable chunks like a certificate of divorce. They can obey a certificate of divorce law. Easy peasy. She burns my dinner. I give her a certificate of divorce. Boom, I just obeyed God's word. The Pharisees wanted to bring the righteous requirements of God's law down to their level. They thought they could earn their way to heaven. But Jesus says that God's law won't budge. It stands and stays put. It won't be persuaded by culture or our own pathetic attempts to reduce it down to our own standards. Let me say that again. God's design for marriage won't be persuaded by culture or our own pathetic attempts to reduce it down to our own standards. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. Trusting in their own righteousness, believing their own PR. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus when they asked him about divorce and remarriage. 
It was like they created a maze, hoping Jesus would get lost, hoping he would be trapped. They, of course, knew the way out of the maze, and therefore they could declare themselves the winners, the keepers of the law. And we do this too. We, like the Pharisees, can create large mazes of spirituality where the winners are the faithful ones, and the losers are the ones who keep running into dead ends. But Jesus shows the Pharisees here, as well as the disciples, that the winners are the ones who reach the dead ends and have nowhere to go and need help getting out. The winners become like little children who get lost in the maze and have to cry out to Jesus. And that's what we'll see next week. It's the losers, the last, the lost, the least. Those are the ones who inherit the kingdom. It's not the self-proclaimed winners. And the good news of the gospel for the losers, the last, the lost, and the least is this, that Jesus will never send you away. He won't kick you to the curb like these Deuteronomy 24 husbands. If you're a Christian and you've been adopted into God's family and you are in union with Christ by faith because you're trusting in his work for you, then this is true. Jesus will never send you away. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never evict you. He'll never throw all your belongings out on the lawn. He'll never kick you to the curb. He'll never ever throw his bride out on the street. He'll never end up in divorce court with us. Jesus will never find anything so repulsive in you that will cause him to push you away and no longer love you. And the table before us today is all the proof that you need. There is grace and mercy for you today as we celebrate communion. If you are divorced, there is grace and mercy for you. If you are on the receiving end of the sin that caused your spouse, uh, on the receiving end of the sin of your spouse that led to your divorce, there's grace and mercy for you. If your sin caused your divorce, there's grace and mercy available for you. If your parents got divorced and you're dealing with the consequences, Jesus cares and there's mercy for you too. Jesus is merciful to all kinds of sinners, all of us here. And that's what this table is about. So come today, Christian. You are clean and you are loved and you are forgiven and you are free and Jesus will never send you away. So come and bring your pain this morning. Bring your sorrow. Bring your sadness. Bring your broken marriage. Bring your broken heart. Bring your tears. Bring your internet history. Bring your dating history. Bring your sin. Jesus welcomes you at this table today. God always meets our mess with his mercy. You bring your mess, and Jesus will bring the mercy. You bring whatever mess is burdening you today, and I promise you, Jesus will bring the mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so merciful to us. As we approach the table before us, we acknowledge that we are sinners, and that we have said and done and thought thousands and thousands of sinful things. But thank you, God. Jesus came for sinners. He came for people just like us. It's all he came for. So we freely confess our sin this morning and say, forgive us. And we turn to you now to feed on you by faith. Strengthen our hearts and comfort the brokenhearted who are here today. In Jesus' name, amen.